Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Got a great episode for you this week. We're going to do our general Q&A and we've got a lot of questions in there. We're also going to be looking at a number of other topics. We're going to be talking about the Bad Batch new Star Wars show that's come out that uh, Jeremy and Gretchen, first of all, welcome. Hey. Yeah. Now, I know we're going to go into more detail on this uh, later, but just tell us straight up, do you recommend it or not? Oh, totally. Absolutely. You'd be you'd be foolish to miss it. I think that they're doing a really nice job on some of these series. Bad Batch is good. Um, I really like the uh, Mandalorian, you mm-hmm. know, so we are seeing some different things. And I understand that there's a couple of other series coming up pretty soon, too. So we'll look at that. And you know what I'd love to do? Teaser alert is maybe have an interview with the voice actor that does the clones in a few weeks. So we'll see if we can put that together. That'd be cool. So this is User-Friendly 2.0. With no further ado, we're going to go into our newscast for this week. Today's news is brought to you by Symposium Coffee and Whiskey House. Make your day count. We are in Old Town Sherwood and Tiger. SymposiumCoffee.com. So what's in the news? Ad-blocking software use increases by hundreds of millions. Yeah, somehow this doesn't come as a shock to me. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So for anybody that hasn't seen this, ad blocking software are usually things like extensions. There's some other ways to install it, but primarily that that goes on your web browser. So when you go to a website, all the ads don't come on. So this can block video. This can block various different things like that. And it's about 200 million installs that this has increased by in the last year with the pandemic. And a big part of this is they seem to be pushing a lot more ads. Uh-huh. And companies like Apple this last year have been pushing a lot more for privacy and that type of thing. And so you're kind of having these two things but heads. And that's kind of where this is headed. And in all honesty, it seems like some advertising I think is tolerable. But when you get to the point that it reminds me of the movie Idiocracy from a few years ago where it's all around your screen and there's Uh pop-ups and all the rest of this stuff, I can kind of get where people are getting sick of that type of thing. And I can kind of understand why they would want to block the ads. So the ad blocking software itself goes in there, but there is a side effect of this stuff. And it's something to be aware of is that we found that when using ad blocking software, sometimes it can block things like a Zoom meeting or the ability to do an online chat. So if all of a sudden some of those functions start working and you've installed an ad blocker, that might be where it's coming from. I actually use two that are designed to go together. So there's some different variances that you might want to look at out there if this is something you want to do. But it is definitely a thing and it is definitely something that is ramping up. Um, Here's a side effect with that. Um, Jeremy shared a website because he wanted to share a story or or something so that I could view something. And he uses an ad blocker. Well, I went to the site and the advertisement on that site was so vulgar and so disgusting. I was like shocked. It's like, why was he looking at this website? Well, he had the ad blocker, so he didn't see any of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So if you use an ad blocker and then you suggest a website to somebody, you might want to be careful. Yeah. And that is a thing. I mean, some of the, uh, advertising is really inappropriate. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It sounds like what you ran into. And the other part of it, too, is is because of ad tracking technology, 
If you have a site that has an ad like that, like what you're talking about, which I remember you telling me about, it was actually pornographic. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, is that can say, oh, this person looks at this type of stuff. It's the same technology that if you look up bagels and the next 10 sites show bagels, that's why. (laughs) But that can have the effect across things here. So, yeah, definitely is something to be aware of. S&P and Dow Jones add cryptocurrency indexes. Yeah, and Jeremy, I know you love cryptocurrency. We've talked about this Uh in the past. Oh, yeah. It's my favorite. We now have a Bitcoin index and a couple of others, and it's going to be interesting to see how that works out. And, you know, cryptocurrency is something that does, you can actually buy real stuff for it. So it does have a value in that respect. Uh I know if you look at history of anything in civilization, any currency that didn't have something backing it up of some kind has never been successful. So either the internet has changed things and these will be, or eventually they're going to drop. But um, it is something the S&P is logging on to here, locking on to and offering. So we'll see what happens. Horizon sells Yahoo and AOL. Yahoo and AOL. Remember those? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're still there. Actually, Yahoo still does a good percentage of searches. People do use it. AOL is bits and pieces of it are still around. A number of years ago, Verizon bought those and a number of other companies with the idea of expanding their advertising business. And the new CEO of Verizon took over and wanted to give this a little time, and it's really not holding its own. However, the company that bought it, which is uh, called Apollo, an investment company, paid $5 billion for these assets, so it's not totally worthless. Yeah. Now, I still use a Yahoo email address, and there's a lot of people that do, and AOL is another one that are out there. But the idea of these being mainstream search sites those days have certainly passed, at least for now. And going down the road, I you know don't know if they're going to come back, but if they do, that's great. If not, well, they were still worth five billion dollars. Europe plans to launch space telescope to monitor orbital debris. Yep, this last week they've launched a number a, a number of satellites again for hmm. low orbit internet communications from SpaceX. So. The Kepler effect is something we've talked about on this show in the past and is something that NASA is concerned about, and evidently the European Space Agency too. And what this is, again, is the idea that you have a defunct satellite or a piece of debris, even something as small as a bolt, and when you accelerate it to the speed things are in orbit, it can hit something else and cause it to break, and then that debris in turn hits something else, and that's what this is. So... In line with that, they've been looking at the ability to launch some missions to actually pull out the space debris. That's one thing that's going on. And now this is a way to be able to monitor it and see if there's going to be a problem or at least get some idea. But space, even orbital space, is a big place, and it's kind of hard to watch everything. So this is something that if it did happen, could cause some really big problems with our communications because most of it's satellite-based now, and there is a lot of stuff in orbit. So definitely is definitely is a real concern. Apple Watch likely to add several new monitoring functions. This includes blood pressure, blood sugar, other things like that. No, the watch still can't replace your doctor. Oh, no. But the <laughs> more sensors and things that it has, the more that it can do. And there's watches for seniors and everything else out there now. And they have been accredited with helping people out and being able to contact for help and that type of thing in certain circumstances. Not something you would want to definitely depend on, but augmenting a regular health regimen and that type of a thing 
I could see this. And there's a lot of wearable technology that's coming out that has these type of functions. Google has a version of a health watch. I think it's called something else because it doesn't actually have a display, kind of like the old Fitbits where it was just a band and then you would see the results of it on your phone or something. So the idea of these being kind of a race to who can have the most sensors makes sense. And the Apple Watch (laughs) is definitely trying to lead that type of an environment. And that's kind of what we're seeing here. So I don't know. We all wear a smartwatch. Yeah. Uh, All three of us do. And there are certain benefits of that and that type of thing. I, I like having the pedometer, which is not a new feature. I mean, that's something that's been around for a long time, but having it built into the watch is nice. And I'm just getting a scale for my Fitbit that'll log my weight automatically um, because I don't have the discipline to write it down and I would like to keep a log. So these type of devices, health devices, definitely a big market for them. And there's definitely a lot of them out there that are good and some that are really bad. So you do want to check the ratings and figure it out before you spend the money on one. Dell users at risk from Kernel Privilege Bugs. Yeah, and I'm a fan of Dell. I mean, I like their equipment. I always have. I use it. Uh, My equipment for my primary recording and programming and all that is Alienware, which is a high-end Dell technology. But this is something that apparently has been around for a very long time. And you have custom software that supports a given manufacturer of a computer, in this case, Dell, for certain things that are unique and specific to that brand. And the people that have figured this out have said they're going to wait to release the proof of concept, which, in other words, is describing what this is and what the bugs are, until the end of the month, June 1st, to give Dell an opportunity to put out a patch and fix it. But it seems like if it hasn't been done in years, I mean, hopefully they'll be able to do it in the next couple of weeks. The thing of it is, is what this can allow the bad guys to do is gain control of a remote computer, remote code execution, and some other things like that. So for an end user, it's probably not something that you would lose sleep over, but definitely for a network or a business or that type of thing, and there's a lot of businesses that use Dell equipment, we want a patch for this and we want this to be fixed. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. A lot of the topics we do on this show are driven by listener questions, and this one's no different. And we're going to talk a little bit about home security systems. And what these are is back in the day, you know, a long time ago in ancient times, so about 10 years ago, you would have to call a security company and they would come out and install a system. And the cost to do that sometimes could be pretty substantial depending on what you were doing and how much you wanted to cover. And since then, like everything else with the internet, this has changed a lot. And in this day and age, we now have what are called do-it-yourself, install-it-yourself systems. And you can buy these for not a lot of money in a lot of cases. There's still professional installation available on some of them, but it is definitely something that has driven down the market prices. The problem is, is with a lot of different things out there, there's a lot of different good ones and not so good ones. So we wanted to talk about this a little bit. And I think let's start with the uh, Ring doorbell system. Now, Gretchen and Jeremy, I know you guys have had a little experience with this. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, So far, it's been good. Yeah, Ring Ring doorbell is a system that offers security cameras. That's where they started. Uh, You can buy a hub for it, which will allow you to add door sensors and 
motion sensors and all the conventional stuff that you would have with a security system. Ring is a subset of Amazon, so it's compatible with all of their smart speakers and stuff like that pretty directly. And uh, it's a system that you, in order to install it, is pretty straightforward, but it suffers from one of the things that I'm noticing more and personally I don't like and got, have gotten some feedback on it that you have to have a mobile device to set it up. Did you guys run into that? Yes, and that was frustrating. I prefer to use my laptop. And um, I did look at the interface on the laptop, and it's not very good. So I had to kind of uh, force myself to try and deal with the the stuff on the phone. And the tablet just didn't want to do it right. So um, there's a feature where you need to scan. Uh, it's like a barcode. It's one of those square things. Mm-hmm. QR code. Yeah. And so I needed to scan that. And the tablet didn't want to do it for some reason. But my phone does a great job scanning it. So I had to be forced to use the itty-bitty teeny-weeny screen on my phone. <laughs> and, the, and the phone did a good job. It's just... I'm I'm more comfortable with my laptop. Yeah, it seems like being able to use both would would make a lot of sense. Now, if you're not an Amazon person but a Google person, Nest Nest Hello makes a video doorbell system as well, and also offers DIY installation, many of the same features, and is compatible with Google devices. And it seems to work pretty well. Now, one thing about Nest that's been going on lately is they've been limiting what third-party applications can run with it. And this has become a little bit of a problem just because of the fact that uh, if you have a smart home system, it may or may not be compatible now. So it's definitely something you want to check out. I run smart things, and as a for example, I have a lot of compatibility issues or would between Nest and Smart Things. And uh, Nest and Philips Hue is another one that's been dropped. So just something to think about and look at what technology you have and deciding which one to get here. Big one that we've seen advertised is one called Simply Safe. And mm-hmm. uh, this system is also a DIY installation. It's $230 up front, and they send it to you, and you can basically set it up and then go from there. Now, one other thing that is a footnote to all of these systems is the fact that they generally come with some kind of a kit that will include maybe a camera, a motion sensor, a couple of door sensors. So you also want to look at the add-on prices, because if you want to, say, a door sensor on every door, and it only has one or two, and you have more than that number of doors, you're going to need to buy additional equipment on top of the upfront price. Um, did you guys run into that with your ring system? Well, the ring system came with like like a package deal. And there were there were the window, you know, window sensors, mm-hmm. and then there was a, a motion detector. And it seemed to work out pretty well. Okay. So, you know, it's just a it's just a matter of getting there. Now Let's say you don't want to do DIY. You want professional installation, and there are some good options for that, too. I'm going to use Comcast as an example uh, just because we're up here in Portland, but most uh, cable companies offer home security now. Uh, ADT, those kind of companies offer similar things here, too. They charge $99 up front, but you have to have a contract for a monitoring plan to be able to kind of offset it. And if you want additional sensors based on the basic kit, you would have to pay for that. And that brings me to my next topic with this, which is monitoring. Because the older systems, it was like 20 bucks a month and it was monitored and usually used your phone and that's how they did it. The way they're doing it now is actually very similar. Uh, some of the cost on this has come down. Uh, again, to use the uh, Ring system as an example, it's $10 a month and that includes professional monitoring. On my system, I also put in smoke detectors, carbon monoxide detectors, and all of that is professionally monitored as well. 
And the other thing that's really cool about that system is the $10 includes if someone comes and steals a camera or your ring doorbell, video doorbell module or something off of your house, it's actually covered under the uh, maintenance contract that they'll replace it. So there are different odds and ends, and that type of thing varies from system to system as it does the cost. Um, as a, for example, the uh, professional installed plans, again, Comcast here, uh, the monitoring is $40 per month during the first year and then $50 after that. They offer discounts if you buy your cable TV. So you, you got to look at the differences here and see what is better for your situation. Now, did you guys do the monitoring on yours? We haven't done it yet. Um, I mean, I haven't like activated it to monitor it because we're home right? so much, but we are going to do that. And I thought the $10 seemed pretty reasonable. Yeah, I think so. We've got about a minute left here, so I'll tell my story on, on the monitoring. And this is just something to think about when you do it. The older systems usually went over a landline phone line. Now, most of us don't have that anymore. So on the Ring system, and the Nest works this way, as well as most of the others, Simply Safe. it has a box that has backup power and a cell phone connection. So it's really cool if you disconnect the power, no one can cut a phone line, it'll still work, that type of thing. But we had a situation where we had a small kitchen fire from an appliance that uh, uh, was old, needed to be replaced, and finally gave its all, and it put a lot of smoke into the air. Well, what happens with this thing is it set off the smoke alarm and called the monitoring service. Okay, that's all fine and well, except I couldn't get it to disarm. So I kept dialing them and dialing them and dialing them again, and I couldn't disconnect the power. And I <laughs> So uh, it definitely became an issue uh, when I had to call the uh, monitoring people. And I'm like, I know you've gotten four alarms, uh, but everything's under control. So to get them to stop, what we finally had to do was pull down the smoke detector and stick it somewhere there was no smoke. And uh, doing that seems to have gotten it to work, but it's just something to be aware of. This is user-friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the section of the show where we answer your questions. Got a lot of questions this week and keep them coming. The way that you send them to us is give us a call, 503-766-6264, or go to One User-Friendly on Facebook or Twitter. What questions do we have this week? What is really going on with the chip shortage? This is something that we've been hearing about, that there's a chip shortage and uh it's causing all kinds of problems and various different things. There are a lot of products that are harder to come by right now due to this. They're even saying that one of the reasons why we're still seeing the delays on the new PlayStation and Xbox console is partly related to this. One of the areas that's really hitting is the automobile industry. They've actually had to stop production at some plants because they can't get microchips. And what happened was when the pandemic started, the manufacturers were looking at some different things and didn't know where stuff was going to go. So they stopped making chips. The car companies and stuff stopped ordering them, thinking there would be a huge slowdown. But the reverse happened, and everything came where a lot of people were ordering a lot of different products for home use and remote connectivity and that kind of a thing. And all of a sudden, we didn't have enough available anymore. And they think that it could be next year before this problem really goes away, because it does take a lot to ramp back up. So that's why we're seeing less automobile manufacturing. In fact, there's one dealership 
that says they normally sell about 250 new cars a month, and right now they're only getting stocked at about half that, and it's because oh. the manufacturing isn't there. Wow. <laughs> Is a cloud server better for my business? Cloud server depends on the business model. I have found that for most of what I do, I've switched over to cloud-based services. So a cloud uh, service means just simply that you're hosting your workload on someone else's equipment. And there's a lot of different providers. Some of the bigger ones are Amazon Web Services, Google, Rackspace, those kind of things. And they're out there and they handle all of this kind of stuff. So if you need a server in your office for any reason, then you would still have to go that route. But if you don't, so if you're hosting an application or a website or some combination of things, or even services like Netflix use the cloud for, for handling their stuff, it may be a very good way to go. You don't have to upgrade the technology because that's done for you. You don't have to do a lot of the support. If something breaks, they fix it, but it's virtually hosted. So it's usually a situation where that's very unlikely. And plus the backup and redundancies there. So there's a lot of advantages to going to a cloud-based platform. But it's just something where you have to look at your business model and decide, you know, if that's something that you can do. And if you can, look at the numbers and see where it might save you money. Is it possible to make a real lightsaber? I don't know. You know, uh, interesting question. <laughs> the one that I did see attempted that seemed to work, and Gretchen, you might know what these are called. It was the predecessor to the lightsaber. The proto-saber? Proto-saber. Thank you. Yes. Oh, and okay. There's this giant battery thing on your belt that makes it work and it has a cable that connects to it that actually is a thing you can go on youtube or one of those sites and see a video on how it was made and it is something that somebody managed to put together it's basically a plasma torch that's run by this huge battery now, now is it is the plasma torch dangerous yes that's where i was going to okay. go with that if this is something that you want to do you do want to be an expert on it and it is something that uh uh, can be very dangerous because the power supply alone would really give you a shock if you did something wrong. Mm -hmm. And the other side of it is, it is a proto-saber. I mean, it will cut through things. It is a glowing fire plasma type scenario. Um, I don't think I'd recommend trying to make one, but it would be interesting to check out the video if it's something you're interested in to see how it was done. Did Yahoo Answers stop working? So before I answer that question, I think the question that we have to talk about is what is Yahoo Answers? Yeah, because well, I was that. like, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> so the short answer is yes, they did take it down on May uh, May 2nd, I think it was, first part of the month. Yahoo Answers was a very early on crowdsourced way of getting answers. And back in Yahoo's heyday, they had a lot of these different services they offered. Yahoo Answers was one of them. Yahoo Groups was another. And basically, you could go out and ask a question, and anybody could answer it. But the thing is, it was very early, it was very haphazard, and it was not something that was uh, very controlled. So it is something that they've done away with, and it has it has gone by the wayside. What is happening with the Google Pixel earbuds? So they accidentally released the information on this too early. Evidently, oh, ah. <laughs> Google is making earbuds. Uh, these will compete. Your bugs? With, uh, your buds. <laughs> <laughs> these will compete with the Echo Buds and the uh, Apple Buds, those uh, different type of things. From what we can see in the preliminary thing that was put out in a tweet that was later deleted by Google, is it looks like it's an interesting device. It'll work with the Pixel phone initially, and it gives you a set of wireless earbuds, another option on the market to be able to use. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break.
Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Joining me from Las Vegas, Chaz Wellington. Chaz, how are you doing? Hey, doing great, Bill. How are you? Doing good, doing good. How are things in Vegas? They are busy. We are soon going to be at pre-pandemic levels. And uh, May 1st, we're going to 80%. Uh, social distancing is going from six feet to three feet. And by June 1st, we should be at a hundred percent. I am. I'm so glad to hear that. I just, you know, it's nice to be able to get back to some normalcy. I know that our group is planning to be down there in August for the uh, Star Trek convention. And, uh, when we are, we're going to have to sit down and talk a little bit, you know, kind of actually in person because it's been a while. And, uh, but I know you're going to the black hat conference coming up here. Let's start with that. And you've done this the past couple of years. So is this going to be an in-person or is it virtual this year? Yes, Black Hat is going to be in-person and it's going to be in 2022. Okay. I'm sorry, 2021. Okay. Excuse me. And that will be July 31st to August 5th. So a six-day conference. That's the week before the Star Trek convention. So that's cool. All right. And tell us a little bit about Black Hat for anybody that maybe isn't familiar with it or you know has heard the term but isn't sure what the conference is. Sure. You know, Black Hat started out as a hacker convention back in the day, and it grew into a tremendously large convention for all parties to benefit from the knowledge of cybersecurity, how to protect companies, uh, how to show the attacks, and how to train for such uh, instances. Right, right. Yeah, and cybersecurity, of course, is a huge big deal right now. It seems like everybody's, you know, dealing with that. And we had the big attack on the government a few months ago, which they're still not sure what the repercussions are. So it seems like this is more relevant of a topic than ever. And now I know last year, uh, now last year was virtual, I think. And the year before you attended in person, I'm with the COVID thing, it's hard to remember sometimes. But what I know in the past, some of the things you've picked up on this are, are not techniques, really but kind of what to look for. What are you expecting to see this year? Uh, expecting, I'm expecting to see a lot of new technology to, that will have came out to protect networks and companies. Um, you know, research and information security risks, developments and trends are, uh, they change on a minute by minute basis. And, right. You know, especially with zero day exploits and new vulnerabilities these open source tools that are available to the public, they will increase and improve dramatically, even in between the time from now and the conference. Uh, we'll see the latest research. We'll see, uh, you know, on the fly trainings as, as well as the, the trainings that are actually planned. Uh, we'll see briefings that will occur and that'll be the first two days of the conference, two to three days. And that's pretty much what we'll see. You know, a listener question we get in all the time is how do you prevent being hacked? And I, I don't know if you disagree with this, but it's really not entirely possible to completely prevent it, would you say? There is no system 100% secure. And, you know, a lot of the basic things that a lot of people fail to do is to change their username and passwords on the routers uh, within a you know 30 day time period, when they set passwords, they use familiar terms instead of you know a character string that is very uh, different, you know, such as you know dollar signs and such. You know, one trick that I've I've learned recently is to put a space in between the words of your password 
or in between the letters and or put a space at the end of the password. Because if a hacker happens to somehow see your password, they won't see the space. And when they attempt to use your password, it'll it'll lock you out and you'll be alerted. I like that. I like anything you can do to frustrate the hacker. That's that's a good suggestion (laughs) there. Because you're right, you wouldn't see it if you saw the screen. You wouldn't know that it was there. And especially at the end of the password, you might see it in the middle or it'd be a little more obvious. So that totally makes sense. And yeah, I think that's the best advice. One of the first things to do, you're not going to be able to stop hacking if a big company gets hacked and your information gets out. These are happening all over the place, but that's not something as an individual you can control. But you can be smart about your passwords and watch for things. I know Another big thing on this end of it is to watch your your financial accounts because a lot of times these things will come up six months to a year down the road. And if anything weird goes on, you do have a limited amount of time to be able to deal with it. So you want to you want to know and you don't want to just ignore it and uh, getting in there. Now, I know this type of a conference, too, is for people doing cybersecurity and trying to make things like firewalls and all that stuff a lot more rock solid. So from that end, I think it could get very technical. Oh, it's definitely technical. It goes from the bits and the bytes to the actual programs and motions. Uh, It's going to be very technical. It always is. Yep, it always is. So we're going to look forward to your interviews on that. And we've got about two minutes left here. So the other thing I want to talk to you about is virtual reality and what you're doing in that area. Uh, well, I actually have a product that has been in production for a couple years. Uh, you know, a few setbacks here and there, but it's a virtual reality, augmented reality, supplemental type program to someone's everyday lifestyle and or life in general. Okay. And it transcends, you know, geographical location, income, lifestyle, age, uh, stage in life. Uh, you name it, and it's gonna it's gonna change the world. Well, I mean that sounds absolutely incredible. I know virtual reality. You and I have both picked up the Oculus headset, and I think we both like it. Um, <laughs> you know, absolutely. What, what you can do with this stuff, and to even see how far it's progressed in the last couple of years. Because my first headset had wires, and it worked well, but you were tied to the computer and didn't want to trip and all that. And it seems like now. Like anything else, the equipment's gotten smaller, more accessible, and the prices have come down. And I think we're going to continue to see that. For So for something like what you're talking about, you have something that a few years ago, you may not have had a situation where everybody could get easy access to the equipment, whereas now it's a lot easier to get there. What do you think of the idea of going forward and a product like what you're talking about for people to be able to get on? Do you see this as being something in a few years is just something you'd pick up at a big box retailer for a hundred bucks, or do you think it's going to be more complicated? It's going to be very simple. In fact, and you know, it took, I came up with the idea in 1991 actually, but it took technology to catch up with my business model back in 2013. But with the advancements of the Oculus and the existing products, applying this to the purpose and the business model is going to be very simple. It's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be difficult at all. Okay, now going People will be able to pick up the Oculus. They'll be able to pick up the, the Oculus, use the product, and at, per the business model, be able to, uh, how to say this without giving away too much. Well, yeah, actually, I know you're under non-disclosure on a lot of this now, yes. so we're not trying to be weird here. It's just the way yeah. it is, you know, so. <laughs> yes, but, it um, will. It will it, it's as, as important as life insurance. Yeah. Let yeah. me put it that way. 
So what we're going to do is when you get to a point where you can talk about the actual nuts and bolts of it a little bit more, is get you back on for that. And I think that'll probably be after Black Hat. So we'll deal with that too. And I know there's a lot of other things going on in Vegas. So this is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. I think we get to hear about a new Star Wars series, I guess it is. This yes. Week. So what, what, did yep. you, what is it? And tell us about it. Oh, my goodness. This is like the world's greatest present and since the pandemic started. Um, and it's a Star Wars present. And it was on May the 4th, Be With You. Okay. And, um, you know, everything's been pretty gloomy for the Star Wars fans, and it's called The Bad Batch. All right, so what is and The Bad Batch? The Bad Batch is a continuation of the Clone Wars animated cartoon with the same art style and same voice actors. Uh, and it's basically, because everybody was like, oh, well, what happened to The Bad Batch? And now we find out. Because, you know, <laughs> you had Order 66, and everybody had to, there was the, all the problems with the galaxy and everything. And the Bad Batch, they're a special unit of clones. Okay. You know what? And and, and if uh, the clones, you know, from the Clone Wars and everything. Yes. And these guys are all have unique personalities. And I really have got to commend D. Bradley Baker mm -hmm. on his voice work. I mean, he does all of the clones. Okay. So he's doing multiple characters then. And he's able uh -huh, to do so, and so they all sound alike. Well, but on the Bad Batch, he's allowed to make some have different personalities. Oh, yes. But I mean, the man is basically having conversations with himself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he does a beautiful job, and the, and the people who wrote the story um, did an excellent job. Great acting, beautiful artwork. It, it just really came through, and I'm looking forward to the next episode. You know? Oh, yes. Um, and there's a few fun surprises in there. Uh, we'll even... Oh, that was the other thing. They added Caleb Dune and... Um, what's her name? Depo Balaba. Yeah. They add them in there. And so there's this nice connection to, like, rebels. And, and, and so it's all tied together. So it's very cohesive. Which we haven't seen lately in a lot of Star Wars yeah, stuff. Yeah, no, I was going to say we, we haven't. <laughs> um, yeah. No, this sounds incredible. So it's an animated series. I assume it's on Disney Plus. It yep. is. And um, is it now? Is it going to be a short run? Do you think, or is it going to be multiple seasons? They haven't really announced how many seasons they're going to have. I I'm going to hope that the first season covers enough that it makes sense. If they don't get any more, but the first episode was seventy minute was over seventy minutes. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, a it's good introduction. Good. Yeah. yeah, that is something you can do with streaming media is you don't have the time constraints like you would for broadcast. Right. So it allows you to kind of just it's as long or as short as it needs to be, which is kind of cool. It's so, very nice. You know, that sounds interesting, guys. 70 minutes. All right. Well, I think check it out. Disney Plus is uh, Star Wars The Bad Batch. And that's something that's available now. And I assume the episodes will be dropping every week. And should we'll be every Friday, every Friday. And we'll keep you up to date on that. And let you know, and until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge.
User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2021, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at UserFriendlyNation.com, TheAnswerPortland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.